You're listening to the podcast of Antioch East Baptist Church in Magnolia, Arkansas. This is Pastor Ron Owen. We're so glad that you've joined us today. If you have any comments or inquiries, you can send those to us at aebc123 at me.com. We're in John chapter 8 this evening. For right now, let's just go ahead and read our text. We're going to read the whole text, 8, uh, 12 to 19. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I'm the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So this is the second of the seven or eight I am statements. And the reason there are seven or eight of them is one time in the book of John, uh, the Pharisees are just asking Jesus some questions and he just responds with two simple words. I am. You know, at least once he just simply said, I am. That those two words together, as I mentioned this morning, would have been hugely significant to the Jewish people and to these uh, scribes and Pharisees that are in attendance this, uh, this day. It would have been infuriating to them because they would have recognized that Jesus was claiming deity for himself. He was identifying himself with the God who spoke through the burning bush. He was was identifying himself with the God that had led the people of Israel out of Egypt and through the desert and into the promised land. And he was making some bold claims in stating the I am statements. But seven of them weren't simply saying I am, but he was also saying I am what you need for these different spiritual conditions that you have. And on this occasion, he speaks about being the light of the world. Now, again, it almost in this uh, chapter looks like it comes out of left field because the first 11 verses of John chapter 8 are when Jesus is teaching at the temple and the scribes and Pharisees bring this woman to him that's been caught in adultery. And we know this story very well. It's one of the more popular stories. And she gets cast down at Jesus' feet, and they say, Now, teacher, the law says that this woman caught in adultery is supposed to be stoned, is supposed to be executed for her crimes. What do you say? 
And they do this trying to trick Jesus or trying to catch him uh, off guard or trying to catch him because if Jesus says, well, we're not going to worry about that, let her go, then they could say, you see, he's not concerned about the law of God at all. But if he says, well, the law says that she ought to be executed, she ought to be executed, then the people would say, oh, this Jesus that taught uh, love and grace and, and mercy, not so loving and graceful and mercy to this woman, is he now? And so they, they thought they had him, and they did this many times. Jesus, of course, just doesn't even answer them at first. He bends down, he starts to write with his finger on the ground, and I would love to know what he was writing. I wish, I wish John would have told us what he was writing, but he didn't. I could speculate, but I won't. And I could have a lot of fun speculating, but I won't tonight. And they continue to ask him, and so he stands up and he says, well, I'll tell you what, whoever has never sinned, go ahead and cast the first stone and we'll, we'll see that justice is done. And of course, nobody in that crowd was willing to label themselves as that person, the perfect person that's never committed any sins. And so one by one, they start backing off and they start leaving. And he finishes his conversation with her and says, uh, well, where's all your accusers? And she says, there, there's none left here. And he says, and this is so very important, neither do I condemn you, go, and from now on, sin no more. I'm not condemning you or I'm not judging you either. Imagine how beautiful. This woman, who is clearly a sinner, she cannot deny it, caught in the act, it says, standing before a, a just God. And he says, I don't condemn you. I'm not here to judge you today. Go and sin no more. Or to put it another way, go and don't walk in that darkness again. There's a lot of things about that story that have always struck me as so very odd. Here is a woman caught in the very act of adultery. That's what the text says. Without becoming crude or crass this evening, let me just submit to you, that would be rather difficult to do. Caught in the very act of adultery. You'd have to know it was happening. You'd have to know where it was happening. You'd have to know when it was happening. And then you'd have to enter the place where it was happening. And all of this stuff would have to come together at the exact moment that Jesus is in the temple teaching so that she can be brought and hurled before him to be made a spectacle of. That all seems a little too convenient. Add to that, I would submit to you, it's near impossible to find only one person committing adultery in the very act. Where's the guy? These scribes and Pharisees 
invaded the darkness because that's where sin takes place, that sin especially. They invaded the darkness to try to drag this woman before Jesus to expose him as a fraud. And they failed spectacularly. And right on the heels of that, Jesus says, let me tell you a little something about darkness and about light. And our key verse, I didn't put the key verse up in the uh, uh, slideshow today because it's, it's literally the very first verse of our text tonight. Jesus spoke to them. To who? In the previous verse, it said that they all had, had left. But remember, they're in the temple. So it's a large area. It doesn't mean they left the whole temple. It means that they just backed off from this area where they left Jesus and this woman. They're still somewhere close by. And so as Jesus is leaving, he's coming down the corridor, there they are. And as he's passing by, he says, he speaks to him again and says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Riley, if you'll just hold that right there for a second, I'd appreciate that. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Now again, speculation. I could go into speculation all night, but it seems to me very likely if only Jesus and this woman are left alone in the area of the temple where Jesus was when she was brought, everybody else has retreated, and Jesus is now exiting that area and on his way out Seems to me very likely somebody's right behind him. Seems very likely to me that this lady, that he just said, well, I don't condemn you either, sin no more, is coming right out behind him. And as these two are making their way out of the temple, and here's all these Jews that were just a moment ago holding rocks and ready to, to kill this woman, and he stops, he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I believe that woman got saved that day. I would say, how could she not? And now Jesus is, uh, it appears he's making a little comparison and contrast here between the light and the darkness. See, the Bible talks about light and dark all the way through it. And consistently we see God and the things of God spoken of over and over again as being in the light. He's a creator of light and he is light. We see that over and over and over again. People, on the other hand, are over and over and over again described as being in darkness. God is the light. We're the darkness. In movies and in novels and in comic books, there's all of this, uh, there's always this comparison and contrasting between the light and the dark. In the old westerns, you knew who the good guy was. He's wearing the light colored hat. You knew who the bad guy was. He's wearing the dark colored hat, right? Since 1977 or so, Star Wars has been a huge thing in pop culture. Light and dark are, are major themes throughout that entire series. And some, the good guys are in the light and the bad guys are in the dark. 
Guess what? The Bible tells us that all of us either are or were in darkness. We are the bad guys. Every last one of us. But the good news of the gospel, well, it's highlighted in Isaiah. Isaiah 9, verse 2. Isaiah 9, 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. There's a verse that we often quote at Christmas time because it's quoted again in, in Matthew and in, in reference to Jesus' birth. But what a beautiful picture. All of us who were in darkness, who walked in darkness, who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, now there is light. Here's the sermon in a sentence. I gave you one tonight too, just in case it don't make it. Jesus' teaching on the light of the world shows us that he alone reveals truth. And here's how we're going to get there. Leave that for just a second. Jesus' teaching on the light of the world shows us that he alone reveals truth. As we look through these few verses that we just read, uh, we're going to see the argument going back and forth between Jesus and these Pharisees, Jesus and these scribes, and see just what it is that he's telling us about light in, these passage, in this passage and how we can know that he alone reveals truth. Now, Riley, go ahead and show the outline in whole so that we can see. This is how we're going to get there. We're going to look at the marvelous claim, and then we're going to look at the heinous accusation, and we're going to finish on the triumph of truth. That's where we're going tonight, if you're keeping notes. So let's jump into that. Verse uh, 12 for the marvelous claim. Can I get somebody just to read verse 12 for me, please? Then Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. A marvelous claim. I am the light of the world. For us to really understand all of what Jesus is, is getting at here, we gotta we gotta ask. What's the significance of, of light? Uh, what is the, the significance here? If you were in Sunday school this morning, and I hope you were all in Sunday school this morning, I think all the classes are in the same book. I'm not sure, but I think they all are. We studied Genesis 1-1 this morning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we looked at how the earth was without form and it was void and that seems like a very odd way for God to create. It, it strains my imagination to think of God as creating something that's less than perfect. It, it really does. Void and without form. It, it, it strains my, my imagination to think that God would make something, especially something as epic as the whole world, perhaps the whole universe, and it needed some more work after he created it. But he did this. And, and one of the things that I highlighted with our students this morning was partially he did this for us. Because later on, by the time he makes man, uh, man is... Uh, 
marks off time by the way the sun moves and by the way the moon moves, by the way the earth moves. And, uh, you know, our, our days are, are counted by how long it takes the, uh, the earth to, uh, to spin, our weeks by how long this, and our, our months by how long this. Do you know there's no scientific reason for us to have a seven-day week? Scientifically, there is no reason for it to be a seven-day week. It could be a five-day week. It could be a ten-day week. It could be any number, but it's seven. You know why? Just because God said so. That's all. Even the atheists follow God's timetable when it comes to the days of the week. <laughs> but he creates it without form and void. And then he says, let there be light. Only after that event happens does he begin to create plants, animals, everything that's alive on this earth. You know why? Because light gives life. I've got some areas in my yard that have some trees clumped very closely together. I cannot get grass to grow under those trees for nothing. It's just too dark. There's just too much shade. They won't survive there for very long. If any of you know how to fix that, I'd love to talk to you after the service is over. But I can't get the grass to grow because there's just not enough light. That's the way God designed this world. Light gives life. Consider this. John 1, a close correlation to Genesis 1. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, well, that sounds familiar. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Light and life are linked together in, in inseparable ways. But light also gives knowledge. Let me ask you something. I wish we had a little one here. Well, I'm not going to pick on the little ones. We do have a little one. I'm not going to pick on them. I was up. Mm. If it had been a boy, I'd have picked on the little one. Okay. What color is an orange? It's orange. At least here. Okay. What color is an orange when all the lights go out? See that orange? That orange ain't orange. That orange reflects light back to our eyes that we perceive as orange. Take all the lights out, all the color goes away too. There's a lot of things that we would not know if the light didn't shine on it. Consider this. This is what David said in Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Day, light, reveals knowledge. And you say, now, wait a minute, preacher. That verse said that night also reveals knowledge. Yes, but do you recall in Genesis chapter 1 that God said that there would be two lights, a greater light to rule by day 
and a lesser light to rule by night. So even on a dark, dark night, there's still a little bit of light, a little something to learn. What this verse means is anybody, anybody can go outside day or night and because God has put light in this world, anybody can find evidence that God exists, that he is a creator, that he is a creative creator. Step outside on a dark, dark night and look up. Unless there's a lot of cloud cover, you're probably going to see at least one star. The fact that that star is hanging up there, out of reach, tells us something about who God is and what God has done and what God is like. It doesn't tell us everything we need to know, but it's a start. Now, if you go out on a cloudy, cloudy, cloudy day at night, maybe you won't see a star. You might see some lightning. That'll tell you something about God, too. Go out on a beautiful day. Look out at the trees. Look out at, at, at the earth. And, and David said, everything you see declares that there is a God and that he is glorious. Do you know what the word glorious means? Basically, shining. There's a God and he is shining. And everything that he made bears witness to this. So that even the most skeptical of skeptics can't have any excuses. He saw the stars. He saw the moon. He saw the sun. He saw this planet. And here's the thing that makes me smile. We know a lot more about those stars than David did. We know a lot more about that moon than David did. We know more, a lot more about that sun than David did. We know a lot more about the universe with telescopes. We can see farther than any human beings ever have before. And you know what all of that light, all that knowledge just keeps telling us? that it's even more complex than we thought it was. On the other end of the spectrum, we have microscopes that let us get to see things that are smaller and smaller and smaller. And on the cellular level, on the molecular level, on the atomic level, people in our generation have seen things and come to learn things that David could never have even dreamed about, about this creation. And all of that information only tells us it's more complex than David could ever have even imagined. All of this science that's come out has only proven that God is an even more creative and more intricate creator than mankind could ever have imagined. Light gives knowledge. And in a practical sense, it's very closely tied to this next idea that light also gives truth. There's a lot of question in today's world about truth. What really is absolutely true? Or is there even an absolute truth? Is anybody else Tired of debating what truth is with people in this world? 
I mean, even when I was a teenager, the President of the United States of America wanted to debate what the meaning of the word is, was. And it's only gotten worse since then. And you, you can't ever get your hands on truth, it seems. Because everybody's trying to change the parameters, change the wording, change the definitions. This is not new. Jesus was being carted back and forth between different rulers, different people as he was on trial and about to be executed. And eventually he finds himself before Pilate. And I'm looking now in John 18, verses 37 38. John 18, 37. Pilate said to him, So you're a king? And Jesus answered, You say I am. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come in the world, to bear witness to the truth. He says, This is why I came, Jesus said. I have come to bear witness of the truth. Now I think you all understand and know already that Pilate was not very impressed with the fact that Jesus came to bear witness of the truth. Because Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? I don't even know what that word means, Pilate says. Well, we human beings, we, we have trouble with truth sometimes. Fact of business, we have a trouble with truth all the time. But Jesus makes a marvelous claim that he is the light of the world that gives life, that gives knowledge. And by the way, knowledge and truth, those two terms are going to come up a lot in the rest of this passage. If you didn't notice it as we read it the first time, knowledge and truth come up multiple times as he has this conversation with the Pharisees and the scribes. But he's the the light that gives life, that gives knowledge, that gives truth. Now, par for the course, whenever Jesus made a claim, especially a claim as bold as this claim, he got some pushback on it. And in this instance, he receives a heinous accusation. That's the second point, the heinous accusation. It's in verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. <clears throat> Jesus makes this wonderful, bold, marvelous claim. I've come to, to give you light, to get you out of darkness. And these religious leaders, these people that should have known God better than anybody because they're the ones that studied the word the most, they looked God in the face and said, you are a liar. What a horrible accusation. That's the worst accusation that could ever be made for the creature to point his finger in the face of the Creator and say, you are a liar. You claim to have truth. You have none. You're a liar. They said, you're bearing witness about yourself, and so therefore your testimony is not true. They had a law that... For someone's claim to be believed, there had to be witnesses. There had to be other people to bear witness because people are liars. Show me a person who's not a liar. I'll show you a liar. 
And so they have to make this rule. They say, we can't believe anybody. And so if we're going to believe anything, then there has to be a couple of witnesses. If there's not a couple of witnesses, then that person's a liar. Well, this is a, a heinous accusation, especially when you consider the people that are throwing this accusation at Jesus. Who are these people? Who are these accusers? They're, they're people of darkness. The light of the world is being accused of, of falsehood by people of darkness. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8, <clears throat> Ephesians 5, 8, Paul wrote to Christians, At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. Now, I want you to notice this. Paul did not say what I would probably have said. He didn't say, you were once in darkness. He didn't say you were once surrounded in darkness or you were once lost in darkness. He said you were darkness. We look at ourselves and we think of ourselves as victims of the problem. Whatever the problem is, I'm the victim. When the reality is we're the problem. We're not in darkness. Now, he's talking about them before. We weren't, before we came to Christ, we weren't in darkness. We weren't just walking in darkness. We were the darkness. We were the enemy. Well, these people, they're still in that boat. They haven't come to the light. In fact, they're accusing the light. And so, they're the darkness. The darkness rises up and, and shakes a, a finger at the light and says, you're wrong. Do you get tired of the darkness in this world? I certainly do. And it seems to be getting darker. It's not really. Maybe the darkness of people's hearts are being exposed more now, but that darkness was always there. Well, we shouldn't be surprised because they're people of darkness. They are darkness. These accusers, they're also people of lies. A few verses later in John chapter 8, before Jesus is done with them, he's going to have this to say to them. John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he's a liar and the father of lies. Now again, who's Jesus talking to? The Pharisees, the scribes, the people who stand out before the, the nation of, or the people of Israel every single week, every single day, and tell them, this is what God is like. This is what God truly is like. This is how we please God. This is how we serve God. This is how we know that we're okay with God and God's okay with us. Here's how we know we have peace with God. And Jesus looks at them and says, you don't even know my father. You're not of my father. You're of your father. And your father 
is the devil. He's a murderer and he's a liar and so are you. I don't imagine that went over too well. We know it did not go over too well. Before it's all over, actions like that are what leads them to, to pursue crucifying Christ. But these people are the children of lies and they're, they're liars themselves. That's the human condition. That's exactly what Christ came to save us all from. The heinous accusation. And the last point for the evening, the triumph of the truth. And that goes from 14 to 19. And this is all of his discourse back and forth with them. It starts with Jesus answered in verse 14. Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. We've all learned that you just can't trust people. We've all learned to get a second opinion. We've all learned to be cautious who we believe. And then along comes Jesus and he makes this bold claim. He says, I'm the light. And if I testify, it's true. Even if nobody backs me up, even if nobody else comes along and, and says, hey, you need to listen to this guy because he's going to tell you the truth. He says, I'm the one you can trust. Even if I bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. And so he bears witness about the truth about his own origin. I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. He says, you can believe me. You can believe that I am giving you the truth because of where I come from. He says again, I'm the one that came down from heaven. His origin. I, actually, that's a bad word. I shouldn't say his origin, but his, his home. Where he came from and where he's going back to. Verses 15 through 18, he also tells the truth about his witness You judge, he says, according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it's not I alone that judge, but I and the Father who sent me. These people had brought this woman for judgment before Jesus. They cast her there in great humiliation. They're about to take her life, and if she doesn't have her life taken, she'll certainly have her life ruined, all in the name of justice. What's just? What's right, Jesus? What ought to be done here? And the truth of the matter is, they didn't care about justice at all. They didn't care about truth at all. They were manipulative. They were using her to advance their own desires to see Jesus um, discredited. And Jesus calls them on it. You judge according to the flesh. You judge according to the flesh. 
You pulled this woman out here because it was good for you. Not because it was good for her. Not because it was good for God. Not because it was good for the nation. It was good for you to humiliate that girl. And everybody else that these people have judged. The Pharisees were very legalistic. They were of the mind that if God's word didn't clarify sufficiently what a law was, then we're going to write some more laws to make up for the deficiency of Scripture. That's what they would do. They would take a law like you shouldn't work on, you shall not work on the Sabbath, and they would define how far you could walk before it became work. God never said that. Pharisees said that. Why? Because it made them look good. That was a law they could keep. It says, you judge according to the flesh. And here, Jesus says, I judge no one. Now, let's be clear. It will not always be true that Jesus judges no one. One day, he's going to sit on a throne of judgment. One day, people will be brought before Jesus, and the books are going to be opened. And I believe those books record all the deeds these people have done. And he's going to go through them and through all of the motivations for the things that they did. And there's one other book, one other vital book that's going to be open. It's the Lamb's Book of Life. And in Revelation, we find that whoever's name is not in the Lamb's Book of Life, they're cast into the lake of fire. So yes, Jesus will judge the nations in the future. But when Jesus came to earth the first time, he didn't come to judge. Marvelous thought. Amazing thought. That the King of kings and Lord of lords came to earth to live among filthy sinners, not to judge them, but just to love them. Just to give them light so they could see him, that they could come to him. Yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it's not I alone who judge, but I and my Father who sent me. He gives the truth about his witness, and then he gives the truth about his Father. I'm not the one that bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father that sent me bears witness about me. When did the Father bear witness about Jesus? We read it a little bit ago. Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, he wasn't speaking. He wasn't just speaking spiritually. He really is the light of the world. He is so glorious for just a few moments, for just a little period of time on that mountain with just a few disciples around. All of a sudden, his glory comes on display and it starts shining through his skin. I would have loved to have seen that. We're going to see it one day. You know, in the book of Revelation, 
it says that there is not a sun or a moon on that around or near that new perfect earth because it's not needed. The glory of God lights that place and there's no night. Now, I don't know how that works. Does that mean that we don't need to sleep? Maybe. I kind of like my Sunday afternoon nap, but you know, if not, I'm going to trust God's got something better for me to do on Sunday afternoon in glory. Because His glory is going to shine through that place to the point that everything's in the light. There's not any darkness. You know where people get mugged? It's in the darkness. You know where people get into trouble? It's in the darkness. But Jesus said, I am the light. And you're going to see a little bit of that light right now. But if you'll accept the light I give you now, one day I'm going to have you with me in glory. And there'll be all light. Marvelous truth. This world is shrouded in darkness, not just physically, but spiritually as well. It is difficult to live in this world because the darkness is so depressing. The darkness is so overwhelming. The darkness is so prevalent, and it seems that darkness is growing. And it's hard to know who to trust. And it's hard to know who to follow. It's hard to know who to vote for. But the whole reason Jesus came was to give light. That we could know what the truth is, that we could know who he is, that we could know... the real eternal truths that make a difference.